your exclusive home for prop sports. Oh, let's go! It's good! This is Rowan Radio. Connors with the game winner! 89.7 WGLS-FM, Glassboro. Rowan Radio, 89.7 WGLS-FM proudly presents Offsides, a weekly roundtable discussion about the world of professional sports, featuring the diverse perspectives of the Rowan Radio Sports Department. And now, here's your Monday host, Larry Dealman. Rowan Radio 89.7 WGLS FM. You're tuned in to another Monday edition of Offsides here on Rowan Radio Channel 2. I'm Larry Dealman, your Monday host for this semester, and I'm joined by Connor Brown and Ali Pontano of the Rowan Radio Sports Department. So as we start off with December, the holiday season, final season, and whatnot, we have a lot of sports news to get to. Uh, my phone's been blowing up all day of notifications across the sports leagues so we will get to as many as we can in the in the limited amount of time that we have so let's get right down to it so we'll start off with the nfl and our week 13 reactions a lot of good games and some interesting news uh, across the nfl and then we'll get to our monday night football preview tonight then we'll go to the MLB, some interesting signings uh, in the NL East with the Phillies and the Mets, so we'll get there. And then we'll wrap things up with the NBA. More news than, um, well, some news across the league rather than, like, br- like, breaking news, I guess. Well, you know what I mean. We'll get there when we get there, and then the top five we will save for last. So let's start off with the NFL. Week 13 reaction. Somehow we are already... At week 13 tonight, it wraps up. Uh, So we'll start off with the Eagles. The Eagles absolutely slapped the Titans in South Philadelphia yesterday by a final score, 35-10. If you're a Titans fan, not a great day for you. The Eagles uh, won by 25 points. The Titans were held scoreless in the second half of the game. Jalen Hurts had almost 400 passing yards, three touchdowns, and zero interceptions. A.J. Brown had himself a day against his former team. Ryan Tannehill, one touchdown, zero picks. Connor, I'll go to you first. Uh, The Eagles looked really good yesterday. The Titans have a winning record. I know a lot of people have said, well, the Eagles haven't faced anybody good. Uh, The Titans have a winning record. Um now the Eagles go on a three-game road trip. So how confident are you in the Eagles going forward? Yeah, I, you know, I'd be very confident in the Eagles, especially after, you know, the Commanders game a few weeks ago. They've, you know, really responded well. And the Tennessee Titans, a little bit of an inflated record as most of their wins have come against lesser opponents this year. Mm-hmm. But that's not to take away what the Eagles did yesterday. And the fact that they're able to limit Derrick Henry to only 30 yards in less than three yards of carry, I mean, you, you got to give your hands up to that Eagle defense, which, you know, halfway through the season, the, the question marks for the Eagles wasn't could they score on offense or even could they defend the pass? It was could they defend the run? You had that, that shaky game against the Texans and then the Commanders game where they were able to, you know, run the ball and control the clock. The fact that they did that yesterday against arguably the best running back in the NFL is incredibly impressive. And to me, the Philadelphia Eagles look like they're gearing up for a really serious end of the season uh, going into the playoffs. uh, Really serious contenders. Yeah, some good points there. I'm looking at Derrick Henry's stats right now. 
The last two weeks have been kind of forgettable for Henry, so the Eagles held him to a season-low 30 yards yesterday. And then last week against the Bengals, 17 carries for 38 yards. So he's been averaging about uh, under three yards per carry these last few weeks. Not good for King Henry uh, as he's been going on this season, although he does have 1,000 yards, so nothing uh, too uh, major on that front, but the Eagles, I thought, did a great job of keeping Henry in check. Ali, I'll go to you. Any thoughts uh, on the Eagles absolutely slapping the Titans yesterday? A.J. Brown had eight eight catches, 119 yards, and two touchdowns. Um, wh- why the Titans, like, how bad does this trade look, giving A.J. Brown, who's not even 25, I believe, to a contender in the Eagles? How bad does this trade look right now? Right now, if I was a Tennessee fan, I would be panicking. Yep. Because you just gave away your main target, your main player on that offense, because everyone knows Ryan Tannehill is not the guy. Derrick Henry can have on and off games, and when he's having off games, it really shows. Last week and the Bengals game showed Tennessee was not performing like stereotypical Titans. You just gave away A.J. Brown, though, to Jalen Hurts, who's out there to prove himself to an Eagles team that has, if not one of the best offensive lines in the NFL, and just that team coming in with the mentality of wanting to prove themselves why they made those picks when they did and how they're gearing up for another deep playoff run. Yeah, some good, uh, some good analysis there. And what's interesting too is that the Titans drafted Traylon Burks. Uh, he actually had a scary collision in yesterday's game. We hope he's doing well. Uh, but what's weird is that they drafted Burks, who had a comparison to AJ Brown. So my question is, why didn't you just keep Brown, well, who you know is, you know, has some, you know, some uh, experience in the NFL? Connor, what are you gonna yeah, say? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I was kind of gonna say this before when. You know, you guys were talking about it looking like a, a bad trade. And obviously right now, it, it doesn't look great. I mean, A.J. Brown was one of the best wide receivers in football at Tennessee. Right. But Tennessee's in a situation where they paid Derrick Henry a lot of money. True. You have to work within the cap in the NFL. And th- that's really why they got rid of, uh, you know, A.J. Brown. And a guy like Trayvon, uh, excuse me, yeah, Traylon Burks, mm-hmm. he's really been coming on the past couple weeks. I mean, he caught his first NFL touchdown uh, in the game against the Eagles when he got knocked out, unfortunately. And then he also had a, a recovery in the end zone last week on Derrick Henry's fumble into the end zone, which didn't count as a touchdown necessarily for him. It's more of a team touchdown, but he's been coming on of late. So that's why I would just give some pushback to, obviously it's not looking great right now, but it's way too early to say that the Eagles were just absolute win. Well, Eagles were winners of the trade. I, I should more clarify, but it, it's it's too early to say Titans are absolute losers in this. But right now, it's scary. Yeah. Right now, I, I mean, what what Traylon Burks has been doing lately is has been pretty good too, though. So it, it's you know you you get rid of a guy that you didn't have to give all that money to right, to a right. guy who's looking like he could step into that place of AJ Brown. Not saying that he is AJ Brown or he's showed that yet, mm-hmm. but just to say that like. Just because, like, right now, I mean, everyone knew what A.J. Brown was. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think anyone was sitting there like, oh, the Eagles got swindled because they, you know, gave away a first-round pick for A.J. Brown. 
it's a good trade to me on both sides. And right now the Eagles are, you know, reaping the early benefits of it. But remember that Traylon Burks is only, you know, a rookie, 22 years old. He's got some more time to grow. Um, I, I just, to, to me, sometimes I, I think we look too hard for a clear winner and a loser in a trade. Yeah. And not that both teams can be winners in it. So th- this is one of those trades where I actually, I think that, you know, over time, you know, both, te- both teams could be winners in it. Right. Uh, the Eagles are definitely, though, to agree with your point, looking like the winners right now. We look back at the Justin Jefferson, Stephon Diggs kind of thing where, oh, this is such an even trade. Uh, Stephon Diggs, when he was traded to Buffalo, and then uh, the Vikings got the pick for Justin Jefferson, and that's so even. I think what you're saying is that I think right now it's a good trade for both sides, but the Eagles, the scale is slightly in their favor for right now, and we'll see how that um, benefits both teams. Over time, of course, A.J. Brown signed that extension when he was traded on draft night, so uh, we'll see how both teams do in the near future. Eagles at Giants next week. The Eagles and Giants have not seen each other all season, so first of two matches for them. And the Jaguars visit their old friends in the Titans next week, so uh, two division rivalries for both of these teams next week. All right, moving on to uh, another NFC East well, two teams, I guess I should say. The Giants and the Commanders ended in a 20-20 to tie yesterday in New York. So right now in the NFC East, the Giants are 7-4-1 and the Commanders are 7-5-1. Uh, Connor, you might be happy to say I was cheering for the Giants yesterday to win that, but uh, both teams ended in a draw. Um, so neither of those teams moved up or down in the uh, the standings, but of course the winning percentage uh, didn't affect either one of them that much. So looking at that, uh, they'll actually see each other again in two weeks against Washington in Washington, and Washington actually has uh, the bye week, so they're going to see them twice in a row anyway. Uh, Connor, I'll go to you. What did you see yesterday? Uh, the Giants, uh, they had a chance to win at the buzzer, but Graham Gano just could not make that uh, 58-yard attempt. I did watch that live, and it was pretty close. Um, any thoughts on all of that? Yeah, I mean, just to start off with the uh, the Gano kick, he said in pregame going in that direction that uh, he was only going to be good from 53, uh, you know, going to that direction with the with the wind coming into him. Uh, absolutely disappointing game from the Giants yesterday. Your, your biggest game since 2016. This was really, a, you know, a playoff game in a lot of ways, and you, you come up flat like this. It, it, it was just it was sickening, honestly. You, you had a chance at the end of regulation before overtime. Darius Slayton, who's made some incredible plays this year for the Giants and made some huge plays during this you know run that they've gone on, the same demons that almost kicked him off the team came back to haunt him, dropping that big pass. Uh, there, there was another uh, drive before the commander's touchdown where we get a big first down from Slayton, but then our, you know what, center Feliciano runs over and starts flexing towards Slayton. But anyone in the NFL in that situation needs to know about you know the taunting flags. Yeah. Um. And, and the Giants too right now are really beat up in their secondary. I mean, when you're without Adoree Jackson, he's really your only true corner. And um, yeah, the Giants to me are, you know, they're skidding to the finish here, uh, Larry and Allie and. It, it, I enjoyed the highs while you know it, while it was going on. Now I'm starting to come back down to reality a little bit. I mean, you're so limited on offense because of the receiving core. Um, you know, who are you really going to throw to? I mean, 
Darius Slayton showed you again why he was almost cut from the team or traded. Isaiah Hodgins, really nice story. I really like him. Caught a touchdown yesterday. Mm. Probably isn't on most NFL rosters, um, especially after this year when the Giants hopefully re-up their receiving core. Um, but yeah, just a lot of missed opportunities in that game to you know, really put yourself in a good playoff position, especially with the Eagles and then the Commanders again. Then you have to play Minneapolis. In Minnesota. In Minnesota. Uh, it's it, it's a really disappointing result for the Giants, and it might be a tie in the final box score, but it was really a loss. Yeah, a tie, I think, kind of feels like a loss for both teams because you really wanted to win, and uh, you just couldn't pull it off. So Giants' last five games, I said, uh, they host the Eagles next week. Then they're at Washington. That's a primetime game. It's 8-20 on Sunday the 18th, so uh, that should be interesting in the NFC East. Yeah, they just flexed it earlier today. Uh, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, then Giants at Vikings on Christmas Eve. Uh, then they host the Colts on New Year's Day. And then Giants at Eagles to wrap up the regular season. Uh, that'll be in South Philly. So we'll see how that uh, turns out. Maybe the Eagles, uh, if they have the number one seed wrapped up, that could just be a throwaway game where they just rest their starters. Uh, Allie, anything you saw from that game? Uh, what do you think about like a tie? Do you agree with what Connor says? Uh, where it kind of feels like a loss for both sides. Do you just kind of run with it and say, well, we didn't lose. So, like I said, the um, the winning percentage doesn't go down too much. But, you know, that one tie can save you when it comes to uh, tiebreakers. Yeah, I have to agree with Connor. It definitely feels like a loss. I remember a couple seasons ago, Green Bay tied with Detroit, I want to say, and – that had me down in the dumps for days because, like, it was just such a bad game. We should have won that, Connor. I feel you. It's just – there's no words for it. You're like, I we didn't win. We didn't lose. We tied. But it feels like a hardcore loss. Mm-hmm. It's not fun. I'm trying to think the Eagles' last tie. I think it was 2020 against the Bengals. It was a home game for the Eagles. I think that was a tie. Um, I know the Eagles haven't really had any ties recently, but, uh, yeah, it does feel like a loss. And, you know, a lot of sports, like, you know, we see with basketball, we see with baseball that you play until somebody wins. But we have with football, uh, hockey, even though there are three numbers in the the record, you have, like, wins, ties, and overtime losses. Uh, but, you know, ties do kind of feel like a loss. Um, you don't win, you don't lose. It's kind of just meh. So we'll see how the Giants and the Commanders do in the coming weeks. And then one more game to uh, wrap up our Week 13 reactions. San Francisco hosted the Dolphins yesterday. Mike McDaniel, who is now the coach for the Dolphins, uh, had a little bit of a a revenge game against his former team. Of course, the Dolphins uh, losing that game. However, uh, the final score of that game was 33-17 in favor of the 49ers. Mike Mike McDaniel was the uh, with the 49ers for five years before going to Miami, 2017 to 2020. He was the run game coordinator, and last season he was the 49ers offensive coordinator. So he was on that 49ers Super Bowl team that almost beat Patrick Mahomes uh, in the big game, but of course they could not overcome the Chiefs. Um, and of course the Dolphins. You know, Tua threw a couple picks yesterday, but probably the biggest story 
of the game. I was going to make this its own segment, but we'll get to the other segments in just a few moments. Jimmy Garoppolo finished uh, the game. Well, he went out with an injury. He is now out for the season. So now the 49ers will rely on Brock Purdy, uh, Mr. Irrelevant, in this past uh, this past draft. He was a seventh-round pick. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo finished the season, 16 touchdown passes, four interceptions, about 2,400 passing yards. And he even started the season on the bench because of Trey Lance, and then Trey Lance went on the bench because of an injury. And now they're saying Jimmy Garoppolo might start next year, and it's been a whole hoopla in San Fran over the past 24 hours. Connor, if I'm a San Francisco 49ers fan, what's your biggest reaction right now? Do you say, well, we're done, it was a good season while it lasted, or do you think Brock Purdy could maybe win a playoff game or two? Yeah, no, I, I see, I, I'm not quite going to answer that second question you asked about Brock Purdy because, I mean, guy just got – really his first and I know it's not technically a start but he played most of the game yeah so I'm not quite ready to make any you know big statements on him but if I'm if I'm a fan of the 49ers I'm still really confident in the team because of the skill players that you have on the offensive side and the defensive side plus the coaching we've seen Kyle Shanahan work with a multitude of different quarterbacks with different talent levels and he, he's made them you know successful and, and and has had them win some games for him I feel like Shanahan has some bad luck following him or some like bad juju when it comes to especially his quarterbacks always getting hurt. Twenty eight to three. Yeah, is another one. Well, hey, that that that's that's different. But uh, Nick Mullins, I mean, that's a guy who started for the Niners a couple years ago. Once engaged, C.J. Beathard. Yep. I mean, yeah. where are they now? You know what I mean? They're they're backups around the NFL, and they don't look anywhere as near as near as good as they were when they were with the Niners. And then also on the defensive side, Nick Bosa, I mean, it's just been a beast this year, like always. He had three sacks yesterday. Dre Greenwall, um, Fred Wagner. Warner, I mean, they, yep. they, Warner, excuse me. I, I had uh, Bobby Wagner's um, uh, na- name pop up in my head when I said that. But right. and, and plus, you added Christian McCaffrey, you know, a couple weeks ago. You still have Debo. Brendan Ayuk has been kind of solidifying himself as a really good wide receiver. Always got George Kittle. I know they haven't used him as much this year, but if I'm a San Francisco 49er fan, I just still look at the roster and I'm confident in the skill players around the quarterback position, along with the coaching, that whoever's behind center, week in, week out, you have a chance in the regular season. Now, the playoffs is completely different. I mean, that is a totally different animal. And a guy like Brock Purdy probably you know, from what we've we've only seen really is one full game action from him. Didn't start again. Jimmy G got hurt, but still really Brock Purdy started most of that game, played most of the game. So unless he shows some stuff on film over the next couple of weeks where this guy proves that he shouldn't have been taken as the last pick in the, in the NFL draft a year ago, mm. I, I still can't give you an answer on, on whether or not I'm confident in them winning a playoff game. Unless, you know, they decide to go outside of their uh, QB room right now and uh, pick up someone who might have been released, but we'll, we'll we'll get to that. Yeah, no, a lot of good points there. Here's what I was thinking yesterday. Now, I know the 49ers, um, the betting odds probably are like uh, free-falling right now in terms of uh, Super Bowl. I know a lot of people are like, yep, the Eagles going to the Super Bowl. It's, you know, you know, write it in right now. Could you imagine if the 49ers either get to the championship game or the Super Bowl could you imagine a three-way quarterback controversy? Like, 
I, I can't even imagine that. You start the season with Trey Lance. Shanahan says, yup, Trey's team. See you, Jimmy. Trey gets injured. Hey, Jimmy, welcome back. And now Brock Purdy, imagine if he does something. Now, um, there's film on him now, so it's not like he's a complete unknown. The 49ers host the Buccaneers next week, so that's a nice little challenge for him. It's not like it's the Texans' um, tank bowl or anything, so we'll see what um, Brock Purdy can do. He had two touchdowns, one pick yesterday, uh, 25 completions, so not terrible. And it was against the Dolphins, you know, a legit contender. Allie, I'll get your thoughts uh, right before we go to break. Um, what are your th- What are you thinking if you're a San Fran fan right now? It's a tongue twister. San Fran fan, do your um, hopes and dreams kind of sky uh, they free fall, or are you still like, you know what? I think we can make something work here. I would think it honestly depends on your perspective of who's quarterbacking. Like, if you think Brock can do this with Ayuk, McCaffrey, and everyone surrounding him, yeah, hop on that ban- on that bandwagon and have hope in your team. But if you still are really hoping for Jimmy G and Trey Lance and look into the future of the franchise, you wouldn't be so hopeful. But realistically, your season's not completely gone. You're still leading your division still have a real chance at the playoffs. It just depends on how Purdy is going to play in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, and I, it's really going to depend, like you said, you know, in the next few weeks. Looking at the 49ers' schedule, now they're 8-4. and four. They lead the NFC West. They're on a five-game winning streak. Seahawks right behind them, though. Uh, they're one game behind the uh, the 49ers. Cardinals and Rams, pretty much, they're done. They're 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 not catching up to them anytime soon. Both of them have losing records. Uh, so the Seahawks, really, their only uh, challenger at this point. So they host the Buccaneers on Sunday. It's probably America's game of the week since it's 425. Then they're at Seattle versus Washington at uh, at Las Vegas, and then they host the Cardinals to wrap up the season. So some pretty winnable games there, but there are some challenges along the way. So I'm interested to see how the 49ers do without Jimmy Garoppolo. All right, so we're going to head to break, and then we will uh, continue our NFL segment. But first, let's check the WGLS campus calendar. The rec center located on Rowan's Glassboro campus is a state-of-the-art health club open seven days a week for full-time students, faculty, staff, alumni, and community members. Amenities include an indoor track, cardio machines, a weight room, group exercise classes, and swimming lessons. For more information, check out their website at rowan.edu. This campus calendar is brought to you by Rowan Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM, your source for campus news and information. We'll be right back after these messages. WGLS-FM programming is made possible in part by Italian Affair Restaurant and Wine Bar. Located at 900 Delcy Drive in Glassboro, Italian Affair offers traditional Italian cuisine in multiple dining areas, including an outdoor patio. Established in 1988, Italian Affair also provides catering and private party options. For more information, the phone number is 856-881-2121 and the website is italianaffairglassboro.com. Italian Affair Restaurant and Wine Bar is proud to support the programming on Rowan Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM.
Rowan Radio, 89.7 WGLS-FM. You're tuned in to another Monday edition of Offsides here on Rowan Radio Channel 2. I'm Larry Dealman, your Monday host for this semester, and I have Connor Brown and Ali Pontano of the Rowan Radio Sports Department joining me today. All right, so we just got done with our Week 13 reactions in the NFL, but we're not quite done with the NFL just yet. So we just discussed how Jimmy Garoppolo was out for the season, uh, and the 49ers are looking to Brock Purdy at quarterback, who was Mr. Irrelevant in this past year's draft. For those of you that don't know what that means, Mr. Irrelevant is given uh, to the person selected as the last overall draft pick uh, in the draft. So seventh round, pick number, I think it's 256. So... Uh, that is, it's kind of like a funny name, but uh, it's an unofficial title. Uh, so here's another story that kind of was interesting. So Baker Mayfield, oh, voice crack. Uh, Baker Mayfield was cut by the Panthers today. Baker Mayfield, a former number one overall pick, I believe in 2018, with the Browns for a few years, came to the Panthers in a trade, and he was like going to be the savior, and now he's been cut after seven games. Not a good look for Baker Mayfield, and he is now uh, looking to be on the waiver wire. Some way might pick him up. So Baker Mayfield, seven games for Carolina, about 1,300 passing yards, six TDs, six picks, uh, not even 58% completion percentage, and the Panthers are tied for last in the NFC South with the Saints, and Baker will be 28 years old in April. So... Allie, is Baker Mayfield an option for the 49ers, or do you think maybe it's uh, too late in the season to give him a chance? Brock Purdy probably knows the playbook a little more than he does. Does Baker make sense for any of this? Not really, because like you just said, it's too late in the season, and Brock has been part of this 49ers team, so he knows the playbook better than what Baker Mayfield would know. If anything... Baker's just go ride free agency into next season and see what happens then. Maybe he'll get picked up during spring training or late in the summer, but I don't see him going to the 49ers at all. Connor, any thoughts on the Baker Mayfield saga? I mean, he has more success as a uh, salesman for progressive insurance than he does with NFL success. Um, you know, Carolina, I mean, Carolina's been a mess this season with uh, firing Matt Rule, trading Christian McCaffrey, trading Robbie Anderson, um, you know, cutting Baker Mayfield now. What are your thoughts on Baker Mayfield? Or maybe what's the direction the Panthers are going to go now? You have Sam Darnold and P.J. Walker. I mean, what's the philosophy here? Well, I mean, the Panthers are probably just going to pick one of the top QB prospects in this year's draft is what I'm guessing because uh, P.J. Walker and Sam Darnold, doesn't really excite you if you're, uh, you know, in the front office of any NFL team, if those are your options at quarterback. I don't see why not the 49ers shouldn't take a flyer, though, on, on Baker Mayfield, though, if if they can fit it into their, their cap or anything like that. What What is one thing that has happened constantly to the 49ers over the years that, that just happened yesterday? Injuries. Injuries to their quarterback. And I'm not even necessarily saying bring in Baker to be the starter, starting quarterback Bring in Baker to be just another guy on the roster because him as a backup option is a lot better than a lot of the other backup options in the NFL. They're one injury away from playing a guy like Josh Johnson, who's who is a nice pro who can make who can have a nice game here and there, or Jacob Eason, uh, a 
quarterback who was drafted in the third round, I believe, a couple of years ago by the Colts and, you know, hasn't materialized into anything. So, yeah, I, I don't if you're the Niners and you, you can make it work financial wise, I don't see why you wouldn't want to bring in a guy like that, because to me, Baker is one of those guys that could excel in a Mike, uh, excuse me, Kyle Shanahan type offense because of how he elevates the quarterback play and he gets the best out of guys like Jimmy G. Uh, Brock Purdy yesterday, Nick Mullen, C.J. Beathard. Uh, we haven't seen Trey Lance yet. I would love to see him and uh, his potential. But, yeah, so if I'm just with 49ers, not even looking to bring Baker in as the, as the new starter, just looking to have a guy in, in case of emergency that you know can go out there and potentially win you a game. Let's not forget, Baker Mayfield won a playoff game two two seasons ago. True. So it – it's been a, a sharp decline from where he was at that point. That was definitely the climax for him. Everything's been kind of downhill since then. But there's still guys in the NFL that, well, I should say this. There's, I would start Baker over some of the guys that who are starting in the NFL right now. There, there are still quarterbacks out there that start for NFL teams where I'd still take Baker. So the fact that he's on the market this late in the season kind of has to be a blessing for the 49ers just in case you have to you know, break that glass for the in case of emergency quarterback again. Yeah, uh, some good points there. And just uh, for the audience, Baker technically uh, not with the 49ers yet. I mean, we're just speculating. Um, I remember, I think it was last year. Remember when the Broncos started like their wide receiver as yep. their quarterback? I forget his name, but he was like the emergency quarterback. They were just out of options. I think uh, COVID bug ran through their quarterback mm -hmm. room. Yeah, it was COVID. Yeah, and it was it was horrible. Like he was like, I tried my best, you know. Yeah, I'm sorry, Kendall Hinton. That's and it. Now, now he's you. a wide receiver for the the Broncos. So he's, yeah, he's so around. he was like their um, sixth option or something. And, and COVID just ran through their quarterback room, and uh, they lost that game. But um, you, at this point in the season, like Connor said, you know the 49ers are at the top of the NFC West, and you don't want to be, you know, going to Josh Johnson or you know whoever's the emergency quarterback so uh maybe taking a flyer on baker wouldn't be a bad idea i don't know if his um he can be cocky so i don't know how willing he'd be to take a bench role at least right now uh we see with carson wentz in washington but we will see what happens in the coming weeks 49ers hosting the buccaneers on sunday and then just to wrap up our nfl segment uh real quick a monday night football preview for tonight Saints at Buccaneers, an NFC South battle. Uh, both teams eh, not too good this year. Both have losing records. I think the uh, Tom Brady-led Buccaneers a little more surprising that they have a losing record, but Tom Brady's 45 years old, so, you know, take it for what you will. So the Buccaneers will be in first place tonight regardless of the outcome of tonight's game. The Saints, if they win, would move up to second place in the division they hold the tiebreaker over the Falcons, and Carolina had a bye week uh, yesterday, so they're not going anywhere. Uh, the Buccaneers won in the Big Easy back in September and then snapped New Orleans' seven-game regular season winning streak against the Buccaneers. Allie, any predictions for tonight? I know um, two subpar teams this year. It's in Tampa Bay, so uh, the Saints are the road team. Any any thoughts for tonight? Do you have a winner tonight? Uh, I have to give it to the Saints, honestly, just because oh, okay. of how this rivalry's been lately and how the Saints just kind of own Tom Brady. And they've 
been like his Miami Dolphins in New England. So just the Saints for the fact that they want redemption. Yes, they got stomped on by Brady at the Big Easy, but this is Tampa Bay. This is Brady territory, so they want their revenge. Connor, Saints or Buccaneers tonight? Yeah, no, it's kind of crazy because I was just going off what Allie was was thinking in my head because the the Bucks have definitely struggled against the Saints in recent memory, e- even before you know Brady got there. Since 2018, I believe that they're uh, what would that be? They're like seven and three against the Bucks. I mean that 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 is before Brady got there, uh, but they still have a winning record since Brady got there in uh, 2020, as they've actually gone a kind of a, a better winning percentage uh, with, with four and two. Actually, that's worse. I'm really bad at math. But anyway, <laughs> you get my point that Tom Brady has struggled, struggled against the Saints. I am, though, at this position, though, in the season where not not I. Teams are, if you really want to make a serious playoff push, it's it's time to you know play your best game because mm-hmm. you know, the game's running out with only about five to six weeks left in the season. Um, I, I do think the Bucs will, will pull it out. I think Brady knows how important this one is. Um, it it is going to be – Ali did bring up a good point, though, of, of the Saints beating them – actually losing to the Bucks earlier in the season. Um, I, I'm, I'm still going to have to just go with the Bucks, though. It's never a bad bet if you don't know what to do to just bet on Brady. So that's what I'm doing here tonight. I'm just going to bet on Brady that he figures out a way to take down the Saints. And, uh, you know, fortunately for you Eagles fans, the more the Saints lose, the Eagles won as well. So Correct. Eagles fans, obviously. I think the Saints are done trading with the Eagles for a while because they gave away C.J. Uh, Gardner-Johnson for scraps, and the Eagles currently own the Saints' first-round uh, first pick. So right now it's in the top ten. The sad part is one of these teams, the Buccaneers, Falcons, Panthers, or Saints, is going to host a playoff game. Mm-hmm. That is pathetic. So I'm going to go with the Buccaneers. Um I've actually been to Tampa, and I've passed by Raymond James Stadium. The pirate ship is pretty cool, by the way. Uh, But I will take the Buccaneers tonight. All right, so we are now going to segue into our MLB segment. Uh, We've already been over 30 minutes, and now we're just getting past the NFL, so a lot of action there. Breaking news out of Philadelphia. Trey Turner is coming to the Philadelphia Phillies. An 11-year contract and a no-trade clause is included. So Trey Turner will be 30 years old in June, spent six and a half years with the Nationals and one and a half years with the Dodgers, a career batting average of .302, two-time All-Star, World Series champ, 2021 NL batting champion. Allie, I'll go to you first. Um, Are the Phillies locked to go to the World Series again? We saw the improbable run this past October. The Red October was a fun time indeed. Um... What are you thinking? Is this like the move to make while Harper is recovering from Tommy John's surgery? Uh, do you think that they're done making moves? I wouldn't say they're done making moves because you still have to like, you still have question marks on the roster. I mean, one of them is probably one of the biggest question mark, Reese Hoskins. Like, what are you going to do there? But it is a move to provide the team with some type of flexibility when Bryce is out. I wouldn't say that they're locked in to make the World Series again because the playoffs and the beginning of the season is unpredictable. You never know. The Phillies flew in there 
barely, barely coming in there. They were just waiting for the Brewers to lose. You never know. I wouldn't say they're locked in for a World Series, but it looks promising. I'm just going to keep it at that. The season will look promising. Yeah, some good points there. Um, it was a nice – I know a lot of people were saying that, oh, Trey Turner wants to be in Philadelphia. No, Xander Bogarts, you know, might be linked to them as well. But Trey Turner uh, is, in fact, going to the Phillies. Another big contract, and I know that the Phillies were willing to maybe pay some luxury tax. So it's good to see uh, Dombrowski and Middleton taking some risks here. Connor, I know you're a Mets fan, and we'll get to them in just a minute. So Bryce Harper just turned 30. Schwarber will be 30 in March. Castellanos will be 31 in March. And Trey Turner, as I just said, will be 30 in June. So are the Phillies basically in win-now mode in the next year or two? And then do you think that if they don't win it in the next year or two that they are just absolutely screwed uh, with all those big contracts and uh, aging veterans? So what are your thoughts on all of that? Um, so m- my thoughts are... I wouldn't be surprised if Nick Castellanos doesn't last uh, his full contract yeah. in Philadelphia. Uh, Kyle, Kyle Swerber had a great season this year, a fantastic postseason run as well. I wouldn't be surprised to see him not finish his full contract. But guys like Bryce Harper and Trey Turner, I, I see them being guys that are going to be, be there for for you know at least until like the last couple years of their contract. Yeah. At the very least, so to me, if you have as as long as you have like two guys like that, Bryce Harper and Trey Turner, you can build around that on on offense and in the field because both are tremendous fielders when, when healthy. You know, Bryce Harper was mostly the DH this year. Curious to see how he rebounds from the Tommy John surgery if it if it affects his fielding at all in the future. Um, but I mean, as long as you have those two guys on the team, some players are going to want to come and play with them. So I, I I think one to two years is a little too small of a gap. I wouldn't be surprised though if if we see uh, them contending for like the next two seasons, and then maybe for a season or two they're they're kind of iffy, but then they kind of rebound again. So I I think what the Eagle, uh, the Eagles the Phillies have done here is they've really bought themselves into potentially being somewhat contenders over the next eight to ten years. Where as long as you have these star players and they're healthy, you're going to have other players around them that complement them that are going to want to play with them. I mean, who, who won't want to play with a guy like Trey Turner or Bryce Harper? They, they were both teammates already together with the Nationals. Uh, Trey Turner also has that championship pedigree too. Um, so I, I, I think the window for them being serious contenders right now is one to three years, like you were saying before. But I don't think it's, it's, it's do or die necessarily, where if they don't win a, t- uh, a World Series in the next two years, that you can just say, oh, you know, Bryce Harper or Trey Turner or Kyle Schwarber or none of these guys are, are, are going to get us over the hump. I, I, I think you're going to need a little bit longer than that. Um, well, not not need longer than that. I, I think that there's potential to rebound if, if they don't win in the next one to two years. Some good points there. And I think that, uh, like you said, I didn't think about that. Maybe Castellanos doesn't finish his contract. I know a lot of fans were uh, getting on his back about like, you know, hey, buddy, you know, we just hand you a contract and – um, you know, why aren't you performing well? And the like Allie said, the Phillies and the Brewers were trying to give each other a wild card spot. You know, like, no, you go. No, I insist. Um, so some good points there. Uh, Trey Turner, 11-year contract with the Phillies. Should be interesting as Bryce Harper recovers from Tommy John surgery. And now going to the Mets. I know Connor will like this one. So 
although Jacob DeGrom is going to the Texas Rangers, Justin Verlander is now going to the Mets. So, you know, pretty decent trade-off, I think. Uh, Justin Verlander got a two-year, $86 million deal from the Mets. He will be 40 years old in February, and he just won a World Series uh, against the Phillies. Uh, of course, he was with the Astros uh, and spent most of his years with the Detroit Tigers. Um, so Justin Verlander finally got that World Series win this year, so he gets that nice fat contract from the Mets. He had a 1.75 ERA this season with 28 games pitched. That was in the regular season. Two World Series uh, championships under his belt, both with the Astros. And I think Danny Ryan might have talked about DeGrom on Friday. He got a five-year, $185 million contract from the Rangers. He'll be 35 in June. Connor, is this a concerning move for the other NL East teams? Now, when I talk about other NL East teams, I'm talking about the Phillies, the Marlins, um, and the Nationals, uh, besides the, you know, the Mets and the Braves. So, for the rest of the division, do you think the Mets um, are going to scare the other teams with Justin Verlander, or what do you think of all this? Yeah, so, I mean, even taking Justin Verlander just away from it, I think teams are scared of the Mets now because they are willing to spend that money. For all those years, it made no sense under the, you know what, Will Ponds, how they weren't spending any money. They were treating Queens like it was a Kansas City market. You're not a small market team. Why are you not giving out these big contracts like the Yankees did that made them so famous? You know, right. George Steinbrenner, you know, just pay it. Just here's an empty check. You know what I mean? And the fact that they lost Jacob DeGrom, I mean, just the heart and soul of the Mets here. I, I'm still broken up about it that I'm not even that excited about the, the Verlander signing yet, to full dis disclosure. But the fact that you rebound from that to signing Verlander, I mean, teams around the, the league must be like, the, these guys are, are going to spend it to, to, to try to win it each and every you know off season going into the, the regular season and then hopefully some more longer, elongated postseason runs. Um, so if I was an MLB team, uh, you know, fan or working inside the, the, the clubhouse and stuff like that, I would be a little worried about the Mets just because now they're showing that they're willing to spend with the big guys like the Phillies who just handed out, you know, how many off seasons in a row have they handed out insane contracts? I mean, dating back to Harper, you had Castellano, Schwarber. Um, so now that the Mets are willing to hand guys empty checks, I mean, it's a positive sign in the right direction, and hopefully they can build off of it. I mean, it's definitely a little worrisome that you have, you know, Verlander going to be 40, 42, 43 at the end of his contract, and Scherzer as your top two guys, you know, just age-wise and how you kind of break down over time. But still, just the fact that they were able to, that they just spent that money is very promising to a Met fan like me. And hopefully moving forward, this can become a trend and it isn't a one-off thing. Yeah. For a New York team, that is interesting. It's like you shouldn't be treating yourself or viewing your, your team as like a small market, like, I don't know, Milwaukee, you said Kansas city. Um, what's not a small market, maybe like Minnesota, you know, you shouldn't be treating yourself when you're literally the biggest market in the United States. Thank so you. like, yeah. what is it? New York, LA and Chicago, which is yep. surprising to me in Chicago, but whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, Yes, yeah, so Allie, I'll go to you before we go to break. Um, obviously, the Nationals don't scare anybody right now. They traded away um, Turner. Well, you know, 
Turner, Harper went to the Phillies. Uh, Juan Soto went to the Padres. So the Nationals don't scare anybody, at least right now. The Marlins don't scare anybody, although they do scare the Phillies in the regular season because they're the green kryptonite. Uh, the Braves, the Phillies smacked them in the divisional series this past October. And right now you see the Phillies and the Mets pretty much uh, as a two-horse race in the NL East. So what do you see uh, from the Mets? Do you think the Phillies and other teams should be um, afraid of the Mets with this new pitching uh, with Justin Verlander, who just won a World Series against the Phillies? Uh, is this a problem for that division? I mean, how can you not be scared? It's literally Justin Verlander, like you said, just won the World Series. Did he just win the AL MVP too? Or, or Sion. There we go. But, like, yes, he's 40 years old. But he just won literally everything last year. I mean, how can you not be afraid of that? You're bringing in, in this big name to the big market of Queens, New York, mm -hmm. or New York in general, to prove a point. He just single-handedly demolished the Phillies in the last couple of games of the World Series. And, yeah, the Mets at this point are the Phillies' biggest rival in the NL East. So it looks like the Mets are going all in this season. Yeah, some good points there, and I think that the Phillies and the Mets will be uh, battling it out for the next few seasons at the very least. Justin Verlander, a two-year contract uh, with the Mets, and I just uh, double-checked. It was a, for Trey Turner to the Phillies, 11 years, $300 million uh, the Phillies are dishing out. So Philly and New York definitely getting at each other's throats for the next few years and beyond. All right, so that's going to wrap up our MLB segment. We still have the NBA to cover, but first, let's check the WGLS community calendar. The Samaritan Center is a program that helps Glassboro residents with economic difficulties by providing free food once a month. You can give back to your community by donating food, clothes, or by volunteering your time. Email glassborofoodbank at gmail.com. Or visit online at glassboroughfoodbank.org for more information. This community calendar is brought to you by Rowan Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM, your source for community news and information. We'll be right back after these messages. WGLS programming is made possible in part by Barnes & Noble, the official bookstore for Rowan University. Located at 201 Rowan Boulevard, Barnes & Noble is your number one choice for prof's gear as well as a wide assortment of gifts, accessories, and sportswear. The bookstore is open Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 9 p.m., Saturday from 10 to 6, and Sunday, 10 until 6 p.m. The Starbucks Cafe opens 8 a.m. Monday through Friday and at 10 a.m. on Saturdays and Sundays. For more information, their website is rowanbookstore.bncollege.com. The Barnes & Noble Bookstore is proud to be a supporter of Rowan Radio, 89.7 WGLS-FM. Rowan Radio, 89.7 WGLS-FM. You're tuned in to another Monday edition of Offsides here on Rowan Radio Channel 2. I'm Larry Dealman, your Monday host for this semester, and I'm joined by Connor Brown and Ali Pontano of the Rowan Radio Sports Department. 
So before we get to our NBA segment, dive deep into the world of news, entertainment, and pop culture with Studio 89.7 on the second Saturday of every month at 9 a.m. Join Philadelphia radio veteran Paul Perello as he sits down with major newsmakers, authors, and celebrities to discuss a variety of topical issues. You'll experience something new, exciting, and different with Paul Perello on Studio 89.7, the second Saturday of each month at 9 a.m., only on Rowan Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM, and also online at rowanradio.com. Uh, Paul Perello will be with you, I guess, the second Saturday. So this month for December is December 10th. Connor says uh, he loves Paul Perello every month, so make sure you tune in on December 10th. All right, so we have the NBA to cover, and then we'll get to our top five. Uh, we talked about the NFL and MLB already. So the NBA has been underway for the past few weeks now, and I found some interesting stories to cover. So Nike has severed ties with Kyrie Irving amid his anti-Semitism controversy. We talked about this uh, a while ago on um, on the show that I do on Mondays. A few Mondays ago, we did discuss it, and probably Aaron Hook and Danny Ryan did as well. So according to NBA insider Shams Charania, he's reporting that Ja Morant of the Memphis Grizzlies, who we'll talk about in a separate story in a few moments, Ja Morant is now next in line to replace Kyrie Irving with Nike, and Ja might get a signature shoe. Nike has canceled the launch of the Kyrie 8 sneakers. And here's a statement from Nike uh, based on this. This was last month. They said this. Quote, at Nike, we believe there is no place for hate speech and we condemn any form of anti-Semitism. To that end, we've made the decision to suspend our relationship with Kyrie Irving effective immediately and will no longer launch the Kyrie 8. We are deeply saddened and disappointed by the situation and its impact on everyone, end quote. And Nike co-founder Phil Knight added in a CNBC interview, quote, Kyrie stepped over the line. It's kind of that simple. He made some statements that we just can't abide by, and that's why we ended the relationship, and I was fine with that, end quote. Allie, I'll go to you first. Did Nike make the right move by severing ties with Kyrie, or did they overreact? There's honestly no reason to say that publicly. Like, there's absolutely, like, I don't, I get that he's, like, a loose cannon and all that. But you got to have some type of responsibility. Just, you got to know what to say and what not to say. What to keep domestically versus what to make public. So, Nike made the right move to try to find a better advocate for them yeah some uh, some good points there i know uh, this has been a hot topic across the nba over the last bunch of weeks uh kyrie irving has had some controversies in the past and this one um is one that's affecting him right now he even was suspended um i think it was eight games that he was suspended by joe Sy, who owns the brooklyn nets so this is not something that was just, you know, pushed aside or anything. Connor, I'll go to you. Was this the right move for Nike to just, you know, say, say, and maybe go with John ja Morant next? Uh, was this an overreaction? What's your thoughts? Yeah, so the, the thing about Nike is last year they already said that they were not going to re-sign Kyrie to a contract after the uh, the vaccine stuff. 
that was going on. So to me, it's just Nike right now, just kind of hopping on the bandwagon of, of beating down on Kyrie. Now, you know, I'm, I'm not here to defend what Kyrie posted, but also Kyrie never really made any type of anti-Semitic statements that were anti-Semitic in themselves. He didn't condemn anti-Semitism, which when asked that question, he, he should have clearly just said no when you're in a press conference setting mm-hmm. where people are going to take what you say and run a million different ways with it. You should just say no. But still, this is just, you know, Phil Knight and Nike trying to virtue signal to new advertisers, new customers on how great Nike is and how, you know, it's all sunflowers and and sun over here. When um, if you ask Phil Knight who makes the sneakers for him, I bet he wouldn't want to tell you because it's it's pretty terrible what they do as a company themselves as a brand. So to me. It's I, it's not even about like the right move or did they overreact? I mean, w- w- what else? Like, K- Kyrie paid his paid his dues. All right, he he got a, a suspension and he was also given a list of requirements that when you're suspended, no one really ever gives you. And he should he should be smarter going forward about how he tries to articulate really sensitive points like this. Uh, that is something that I I, I totally agree with. And, you know, back some of that stuff where it's coming from Nike, where it's, you know, man, we don't really want to be associated with you right now because of kind of what you're, um, you know, I guess condoning it right right now. Because he, he's still not coming out and saying stuff like the Holocaust didn't happen, which is something that the documentary does say. But he's not coming out and saying that stuff or repeating any of the, the rhetoric. Um, I, he just has to understand better when he, he shares something on his very large platform, how people are going to take it and interpret it especially with what's going on with, you know, Kanye West right now. This ran perfectly aligned with yep. with some of his comments that he's been making in public. We don't even have to go over his most recent ones with Alex Jones because when you make Alex Jones look like the same one, dude, you, you got to get some help. But to me, it's, it's just Nike kind of virtue signaling uh, to their advertisers and, and people who invested them and also to, uh, you know, an audience of people who just applaud any time a uh, brand – you know, does the not even right thing, just the, the standard thing. So I, I I don't really know how to feel about it. T- to give it to you short, Larry, after sputtering on for about three minutes on that. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't want to call it an overreaction, but it, it's just kind of, meh, you know, it, 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 it's something that was going to happen, but it was sped up because of, you know, kind of the narrative surrounding Kyrie right now. And on the PR side of things, you want to look good. So that's kind of where I stand with Nike. No, some good points there. And um, it doesn't matter if it was a three-minute spiel or not. You made your point. Um, yeah, I think I don't think this was an overreaction. I think it was just time. I mean, Kyrie's, uh, I wouldn't say going off the rails, but it's just been like this thing with him. It's like, all right, all right, we, you know, like – it kind of seemed like the the team was telling you, "Hey, buddy, have you apologize or say that you can you do not condone anti-Semitism?" He kind of it's just very vague of like what his beliefs are, and he he let it be a little too vague too, yeah, like you're saying. He's it's, not as off the rails maybe as Kanye, as obviously been we've been watching that uh, train wreck. But uh, I think Kyrie has had some chances, and I think that now um, Nike's like, you know what. We just don't want to deal with this anymore. John Morant has not had any issues uh, in his career. So, um, you know, go with somebody who's had less baggage. 
So I think this was the right move by Nike, and we'll see what happens. Uh, Kyrie Irving has had a little more uh, controversies with the Nets than uh, success in terms of like playoffs and all that. So uh, we'll see what happens in the near future with that. All right, so jumping over to the 76ers, the local uh, hometown team. So James Harden might be returning tonight. He's listed as questionable on the injury report. He's been out about a month with a foot tendon strain. He's averaging about 22 points, 7 boards, 10 assists per game, so he's obviously still doing very well this season. Uh, and coincidentally, the Sixers are in Houston, take on the Houston Rockets, 8 o'clock tonight, Eastern Standard Time, so that might be something to look at. And then the Sixers have seven straight home games. Uh, a lot of going on there. Their next away game after tonight is Christmas Day at the Knicks, so that's interesting. Uh, the Sixers' next four games at Houston and then uh, hosting the Lakers, the Hornets, and the Kings. And right now the 76ers are in a three-way tie with the Pacers and the Raptors at 12-11 and 11 and fifth in the Eastern Conference. Allie, so James Harden might be coming back tonight. Uh, the Sixers have won some games without him. Do you think the Sixers can put together a nice winning streak with him back in the starting lineup? Yeah, they definitely can, especially since this is a quote-unquote revenge game for James Harden. I think at this point, this is his motivation to get back in, even if he is still, like, half-injured. I mean, who else wants to play against their former team? It's just what's fueling him at this point. And then seven straight home games, they definitely have to go on a run and more than likely will if you have – that type of home field advantage, there's almost a 0% chance of you losing a game, honestly. Yeah, no, some good points there. I think the Sixers will um, put together some wins. Those seven home games, by the way, uh, just to ramble off here. So they have the Lakers, Hornets, Kings, Warriors, Raptors, Pistons, and Clippers. Uh, in that two-week stretch, give or take. So I do see some wins there. Might be some um, some close games. I You know, the Kings have been a lot better this season. The Warriors just won the title, for crying out loud. So uh, some good games coming up, but we'll see what happens with the 76ers as well. And then to wrap up our NBA segment, I'll go to Connor on this one. So the Memphis Grizzlies uh, star John Morant, who we just talked about with the Kyrie Irving drama. John Morant was fined $35,000 for yelling at a referee. So Moran and Dylan Brooks were tossed uh, in their loss against the Timberwolves the other day. Morant got angry at the ref, and apparently he did not leave the court in a timely manner. Interesting. Uh, Connor, do you believe the refs have a right to be um, tossing players left and right and uh, distributing these fines, or do you think that they've become a lot more sensitive with um, you know technical fouls and flagrants and all that? Um, what are your thoughts on the referees these days? You know, the thing that really always kind of gets me with this is I have no idea because the refs never talk. Like, how how much better would it be if there was clear communication after every game where the players have to sit down at a press conference? Why don't we have refs also sit down they at a press They tweet out, though, well, there should have been a foul called there. But that, And it's not transparent whatsoever, so you're not getting into the mindset of these referees because if you had them sit down after each game – uh, you know, reporters get to ask him about, you know, certain plays, uh, you know, you know, why did you toss John in this situation? You know, what, what did he do wrong? Maybe we could understand actually what's going on behind the scenes a little bit better. And we could probably sympathize with, with the refs a lot more because they, they probably do endure 
like a lot of verbal verbal abuse. I mean, I think any referee does. I mean, that, that's unfortunately part of the job title. I feel like, especially in pro sports, when it comes to officiating games. Yeah, I mean, my answer to that is like really, I I don't know because as much as I just want to continue to you know bag on them for 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 doing stuff like this, because my initial inclination is just to be kind of yeah, they're kind of sensitive. They're they're a little like they like to make it about themselves and stuff. Mm-hmm. But I really don't know that because they don't talk. And, and and hiding behind like the official you know Twitter page where they they type out some type of PR response, that's just a robot talking. That's not a real human being right. where I could you know see him on a screen. A reporter asks him asks him a question like, so what was going on here? Uh, this is what I saw. You know, maybe in the moment, maybe it's not. Maybe I got that call wrong. You know, how awesome would that be? Uh, to me, I think that would help a lot, you know, going forward and treating refs better and, and officials in general. Because you're seeing this not even just in pro sports. You're seeing it leak down into a lot of, you know, little league stuff, which is really disheartening with, with parents just going way too too hard at, oh, yeah. at ki- kids games and stuff and, and berating umpires. You want to see really bad refs? My last horse show, it was getting so bad to the point that People who know nothing about horse show and start yelling, that's not right. This rider mm-hmm. should place there. and that r-. It, wow. it was getting really ugly. You know what I mean? And, and, and I can't be the only one alone who would feel like if, if I could like see that person give like an actual like human response to a question about a foul that they either got right, wrong, or, or, or whatever. It doesn't really matter because players get stuff wrong all the time in games, but they have to answer to it afterwards to the media. Why aren't we holding the, the officials to the same standard? No, that's a, that's a good point. I mean, I used to play um, rec league baseball for my township, and you know, my coaches would sometimes get tossed, or a parent would get really angry, or we'd be like, "Okay, that was a, that was not a, a good call there." Or I think in the NBA, especially, we see if you breathe a certain way, it's a fl- it's a technical foul. If you look at the ref, you're tossed. Like I don't I don't understand this. I think I think uh, part of it too is Larry to sorry to cut you off is yeah. it, is that it's not even just like a single thing. Like the, the the players and the official could be having some history together and yeah. based on how they're officiating games and stuff. So you could even get that when it when it's more the suspect like tees and, and fouls like, well this is the the way that the flow of the game was going. I was officiating it all game like this. I was making it clear to the guys. And he crossed this line, so I, I, I tossed him. You know what I mean? And even if you don't agree with it, at least you have like actually some some context to what was going on during the game. Chris Paul, Scott Foster. Okay. Does he have like an own fourteen record against them or something? Like it's pretty bad. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think the refs are getting a little soft nowadays. Um but I mean, they are human, and they do what they do. Even if the camera shows that you know, oh, we stepped out of bounds, and the refs like, nah, I didn't say it. So we'll see what happens there. I actually, actually, before we go to our top five, I was at the Sixers Timberwolves game a few weeks ago, and I forget what they said or uh, what kind of call it was, and I shouted from the nosebleeds, and I'm like, you know, um, the, the, uh, the refs had the Timberwolves money line tonight. <laughs> so I mean, I got in on the action too, but. Uh, it was pretty hilarious to uh, do. All right, so that concludes our NBA segment. Let's get to our top five. We're going back to the NFL on this one. Here we go. Through 13 weeks, who are your top five NFL Coach of the Year candidates? Um, so we'll just uh, go around the horn here. Allie, I'll start with you. If you have an honorable mention, and then if you want to go five to one, one to five, or no order, go. 
no order, but quick honorable mention just for the meme. Jeff Saturday, oh, LOL. Dear God. <laughs> but realistically, no order. Um, I gotta give it to Pete Carroll. Okay. Um, Ron Rivera just coming off of like that adversity. His owners about to be fired. Carson Wentz going down, and him having to hand it off to Heineke. Um. I just had a whole list in my head. I'm sorry. I'm blanking right now. Mm, um, the Jets coach, I'm going to butcher Salah. Thank you, Salah. Right Thank you. Um, Sirianni, obviously, because 11-1, and one, how can you argue with that? And uh, Oh, yeah, Mike McDaniel. Okay, like. of Miami. Very nice, very nice. Uh, Connor, I'll go to you. 1-5, five, 5-1, five no order if you want, or if you have an honorable mention, go. I, I do have an order. So one, I still have Brian Dable oh, okay. as coach of the year. Um, at two, this is where I was. I'm starting to like flip some things. Um, at two, I'm still going to keep Mike McDaniel's, but at three, I'm going to have Dan Campbell because he has the Lions playing hot right now, and I really wouldn't want to play them. Um, and then you know, at four, I'll have to go. Yeah, Pete Carroll, because, I mean, that you, no one thought in the right minds that the Seahawks would be in a playoff position this late into the season. Um, and then at five, you know, it's really a toss-up to me between the Jets and the Eagles, um, Robert Sala and Nick Sirianni. I, I do think I'm just going to give it to Robert Sala just based on the Jets' history, recent history. Uh, the Eagles, you know, you look at them last year. They, they were still a good team last year. Uh, they have just, like, talent throughout the entire you know, roster. Uh, to me, when it comes to coach of the year, I'm kind of looking at teams that don't have as much talent on the roster mm. and the coach is able to, you know, elevate them to that certain level. Um, but I mean, Sirianni, if he keeps it up and leads them to, you know, a 16 and one record, or no, it would be 17 and one now, right? Yeah. I'm still getting used no, to it. No, 16. It would be 16? 16? 17 games. 17 18 games. weeks. Okay, okay. Uh, yeah, okay. So, if, I mean, if he leads them to a 16 and one record, that's going to be very hard to ignore. But, uh, you know, just right now with five games left, just looking at teams with lesser talent on their roster, I that that's just how I'm looking at it right now. So I had Dable, McDaniel. Um, Campbell. No, you, you said yeah. Campbell. All right, thank you. I, I, I heard a mix between Dable and, and something else. So yeah. my bad. Yeah, Campbell and then uh, Pete Carroll and Robert Sala, okay. Nick Sirianni, honorable mention. Okay, some interesting choices there. Uh, honorable mention for me, I will go with Robert Sala. Jets defense looking a lot better than in recent years. They have a winning record, so you can't just be like, eh, you know, nobody cares about the Jets. Uh, they are for real, and Mike White might, in fact, be the future, which is surprising because Zach Wilson was just a number two pick last year, so a lot going on in New York, the AFC version, though. Uh, number five, I'll go with Pete Carroll. Uh, Geno Smith went from a career backup to potentially being a long-term answer for the Seahawks, and the Seahawks fan base every week laughing at the Broncos for taking on Russell Wilson. Uh, somehow they are three and nine. By the way, uh, right now the Broncos are slated to play on Christmas Day. Um, I'd love to be opening presents, watching the Broncos uh, run in circles. Uh, right now the Broncos. Oh, God, against the Rams. It's going to be hilarious. Oh, uh, but Pete Carroll, going back to the Seahawks, definitely 
in my top five. Number four, Mike McDaniel of the Dolphins. Even when Tua went out with that uh, head injury, they still were able to keep afloat. And obviously the uh, Tua, Jalen Waddle, and Tyreek Hill combo is filthy. And, um, you know, for a young head coach, he's really doing well. I can't believe Mike McDaniel is like three years older than Sean McVay, which is very surprising, but... That is. You know. Yeah. He looks so much younger, but whatever. Uh, number three, nobody said this. I'll go with Kevin O'Connell of the Vikings. I, yeah, I was thinking about that too. It's he turned the Vikings around. Mike Zimmer, you know, kind of uh, stuck in the mud these past bunch of years, but uh, Kevin O'Connell with Justin Jefferson turned this around. Kevin O'Connell is a Sean McVay disciple, as is as is uh, Zach Taylor of the Bengals. Uh, the Vikings basically running away with the NFC North right now. Uh, they could clinch in Detroit next week, so we'll see how that goes. Allie is shaking her head as the Green Bay fan that she is. Number two, I will go with Mr. Brian Dable. Um, I might be showing some of my bias here, but Dable has uh, turned the Giants around. Uh, regardless of that tie yesterday, uh, the Giants are in a great position. And number one, Nick Sirianni of the Eagles. 11-1 and record. You really can't argue with that if they keep stacking wins. There really will be no question, I think, at this point. I do expect the Eagles to maybe not steamroll these next few games as their next home game is on New Year's Day. So some road games to uh, get ready for, but we will see how all of that works. So that's going to do it for Offsides today. A little longer of an episode, but we got through all of our topics that we wanted to. I'd like to thank Connor and Allie for joining me today. You're always welcome on board, and we will be with you next Monday, which is December 12th. Aaron Hook and Danny Grind will be with you on Wednesday and Friday, respectively, so make sure to stay tuned with that. So for all of us here at Roan Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM, I'm Larry Dealman. Have a good night. You've been listening to Offsides, a weekly roundtable discussion about the world of professional sports, featuring the diverse perspectives of the Rowan Radio Sports Department. Tune in next Monday, Wednesday, and Friday from 5 to 6 p.m. for another edition of Offsides, only on Rowan Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM.